This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. It is my testimony that the order is secure. The president have worked very hard to implement a strategy when it comes to the border that is humane, safe, and, and has orderly enforcement. Things are going at the border, sir. Much better, than, much, much better than you all expected. <laughs> we have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. We have responded with a model approach that has proven to work. We have taken unprecedented action over the past year and a half to secure our border. And we have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. We're working to make sure it's safe and orderly and humane. The border is closed. We agree that uh, the border is secure. We're executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders. One of our highest priorities is to ensure that we have a secure border. And that is what we are doing. We are stopping the flow at the border. The border is secure. Should Arab countries be taking on the lion's share of the burden to absorb what could be over a million, if not more, refugees from Gaza? I think there's something to be said about the region's partners being able to support and step up Palestinians. However, that does not abdicate the United States from our historic role that we've played in the world of accepting refugees and allowing people to restart their lives here. Welcome to War Room Battleground. It's Natalie Winters hosting. Thank you for joining us in the 6 p.m. hour of what has been a very, very long day. It is, of course, Wednesday, October 18th in the year of our Lord. 2023, I think we'll be focusing primarily on what is probably the foremost issue that we should be concerned about, that is our southern border, not the border of any other country, or not any other country for that matter, um, the invasion that is ongoing, not just by people, quote, seeking a better life for economic migrants, but by people who really want to inflict damage and pain on this country, as you guys have probably uh, deduced by now, I'm out of studio, um, I'm out of town, but I will be back soon, and Steve should be back for tomorrow's uh, show at 10 a.m., um, but in the meantime, I believe we have John Zdrozny joining us. Um, John, before we get into everything that we just played in that cold open, despite the fact that Axios tells us that actually we don't have an open border, um, if you could just give the audience a little bit of a primer, a bit of a background on uh, where you come from in the you know DHS world and Trump world and what you're doing now. Uh, hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, I had the privilege of working in the Trump administration for all four years, uh, White House, State Department, Department of Homeland Security, uh, and worked predominantly with a lot of other uh, friendlies on immigration and national security issues. I'm currently with uh, America First Legal uh, as the Deputy Director of Investigations, and we are continuing the fight to make sure that Americans are protected and that its government serves them, and it's clearly not doing so based on your cold open. So we'll get into the AOC and the prospect of that clip, the prospect of, you know, Gaza refugees being resettled here because that doesn't even have to necessarily do with an open border, right? Legal immigration is also 
I think, a weapon that they like to use. I call it a, a weapon of mass migration. Um, but we've talked a lot on this show about the uptick in border crossings by people who are on, you know, the FBI's terror watch list. The numbers are, are truly staggering. Um, but I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, you hear a lot of back and forth about the concept of sleeper cells um, or just really what is the surge in crossings of people that we don't know, given your background, your expertise, what's your analysis of the really the, the national security threat, the terrorist implications that Joe Biden's open border has on this country right now? Well, Natalie, the national security implications are serious, and the threat level, I, in my opinion, is very high. I, I am not in, I don't have the ability to quantify it, but the reality is, since Joe Biden was sworn in at noon on January 20th, 2021, uh, somewhere between 8 million and 11 million people have entered this country illegally. Now, that includes the number that they have admitted themselves have come across the border via parole, which is an illegal use of a parole authority. I can explain that if you want. But then there's also what we call the gotaways, the hundreds of thousands to more than a million illegal aliens who were being pursued by the Border Patrol, but ultimately escaped and were never detained. And on top of that group, you can add what we call the unknown unknowns, uh, the people who never were detained at all. And the only reason we know they exist is because the state and local law enforcement authorities along the border have shown videos, footage of uh, illegal aliens dressed in camouflage, carrying rifles and rucksacks, walking in single file into the United States in broad daylight, no less. And so the level of threat is high, not only because they're tripping over themselves to let as many people that they can let in as, as they encounter them at ports of entry, but because hundreds of thousands to millions have crossed in between the ports of entry. Now ask yourself this question. In a world where Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their corrupt crew have said, come on into the entire world and the world has answered, why on earth would you sneak in? And the answer is simple. You don't want to be detected. Now, why wouldn't you want to be detected? I don't have the answer to that question, but I suspect it's not for good reason. You know, one thing, Natalie, that no one's really talking about in this country uh, is that since Joe Biden became president in 2021, there have been more than 150 critical infrastructure problems, incidents, call them whatever you will, uh, ranging from massive fires at, at uh, dairy farms with 18,000 cows to people shooting at power substations in North Carolina. Why do you think that's happening? I have a funny feeling they're all related. And you know I, what I worry now, based on what we just saw happen in Israel not too long ago, is that um, some of those sleeper cells you mentioned are waking up. And we're going to find out sooner than later, unfortunately, whether that's the case or not. No, I, I was just talking about this. I was actually just at Liberty University lecturing some students specifically on that, the sort of interesting relationship between you know open border, this uptick in mass migration, and how you start to see whether it's the food processing plants, the train derailments. Most recently, I think there was a, a convoy of a bunch of military equipment that had derailed. And when you have people who, like you say, the ones that don't want to be detected by the Biden regime, which has already you know, sort of opened the floodgates, quite literally, they've welded them open. Uh, those are sort of the, the real concerning ones. But I, I am curious to double down on, I think, what you were saying, which really is the question you know, of, is it incompetence or is it intentional and like you've said you know you're the person to answer this question because you worked in the trump administration you helped craft a lot of these policies we know the biden regime has sort of done a, a 180 or maybe more so of a, a 90 degree turn on you know the efficacy of of border walls but i'm just curious from a you know dry policy perspective 
What are some of the changes that you think the Biden regime has implemented to facilitate this that directly goes against not just the claims in the video that we played to open, but the term that they like to use that is, you know, oh, these are just irregular migration patterns. It's seasonal. It has to do with climate change, all these bogus excuses. Yeah, Natalie, the, the most important point that I can make on this front is that this is, uh, you know, you asked, was it incompetence or was it otherwise? It's otherwise. This is a policy. Um, this administration has embraced an open borders policy designed to flood the United States with foreign nationals. But my take on it is when you spend 50 years aborting Americans in the womb, you're short about 64 million voters. And as loud and shrill as the left is when they're on TV or burning down a campus or something, uh, they are a hyper minority of the American population. So when when you put yourself in a posture where you promote the death of babies, some of whom will eventually would have voted for you if they'd lived, you have to find other voters or you're toast. Uh, and so what I, the way I view this, the simplest way to put it is the open borders fest that has started since January 2021 is essentially a Democrat party voter drive. And if you're asking, if you're saying, well, John, that's not reasonable that they're not voting now, uh, you're kidding yourself. Uh, I know you believe that, Natalie, but others who are listening saying that can't be. I guarantee you millions of illegal aliens vote in this country because states have inadequate standards to prevent illegal aliens from voting, including in my home state of Virginia, which uh, has a joke of a screening process to ensure that you're legally allowed to vote. So uh, we really need to get our handle on that. But if you're thinking that this is an accident or some sort of Keystone Cops failure, it's not. This is what they want, and they've got it. I have to say, like, I bet you one thing, Natalie, I bet you that Alejandro Mayorkas wants to say out loud, you're welcome. Um, but he can't. He has to go to all these congressional hearings and get punched in the face. And I, he's dying to say, like Colonel Jessup and a few good men, your GD right, I ordered the code red. He, he wants to say they've achieved this great public policy achievement and can't do it. But uh, there's no other explanation for such, such a collapse other than intentional conduct. And speaking of the, the intentionality, I guess you could sort of uh, apply the paradigm of intentional versus incompetence to all these, you know, train derailments and the food processing plants, the weird infrastructure, uh, just a surge and sort of interesting, we'll, we'll call it, we'll be euphemistic here, um, incidents. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into the AOC clip, but I would love to get your perspective on where you think the White House is going to go with, you know, the potential for bringing in floods of, of refugees from Gaza, despite the, the rest of the Middle East not, not wanting them either. Um, but before we get in explicitly to that, I'm just curious if you could double down a little bit on that point and specifically through the lens of, you know, with these ongoing conflicts, whether it's Ukraine, the Middle East, who knows if something breaks out in Taiwan, do you think that these incidents or just the, the potential for stuff to go very poorly, very quickly, um, is going to increase? And, and empirically, why, why do you think that? Well, that's a good question, Natalie. So we actually sat down at America First Legal a few, uh, a few months ago at this point and said, how many incidents have there been? Because you may remember there was a point in time where it seemed like every other day there was a report of uh, something happening at a major critical infrastructure, whether it was food-based or security-based or you know clean water-based. Well, we sat down and put some numbers together and we found out that there have been over, and I, by the way, this number is a little bit stale. It's about a couple months old. More than 150 incidents involving attacks on U.S. critical infrastructure. Um, and most of them have not been answered. We don't really have full answers as to what caused them. Now, some of them are probably innocent. That's just inevitable. Uh, but some of them just are not. There was, I believe, in the mix of that, I think what got the American people's attention the most was the derailment in, in East Palestine. Uh, in Ohio. 
And that was just one, though, probably one of, I think, I, I don't want to give a bad number, but one of many train derailments, one of many hazardous hazmat-carrying truck accidents. Um, several water sewage treatments plant, plants around the country have been attacked. Tens of thousands of dairy cattle have died in mysterious fires. Now, in a world where um, we were secure, we had a president who didn't hate America, I would be more inclined to say, well, gosh, I don't see a conspiracy theory there. Maybe there's just a fire here and a problem there. In a world where we've let literally millions of people into the country, most of whom we have no idea who they are or where they're from or what their intentions are, it's entirely possible. I don't have the answer. I just know it's an unanswered question and it needs attention. And by the way, that number is probably way higher at this point, Natalie. I think at some point the media stopped reporting on some of these incidences because they realized people were talking about them. <laughs> Well, I think the, the key point, too, is that all of America's adversaries, while I would argue they're probably in a temporary alliance now that is the, you know, Iran, China, North Korea, Russia axis of the world, they all operate, I think, very closely, probably the, the Chinese Communist Party most explicitly, but by the theories of Sun Tzu and deception and this sort of alternative warfare that's not necessarily kinetic boots on the ground. But I don't think there's really any better example that Sun Tzu would be looking down, smiling very happily upon than these critical infrastructure attacks um, because the, the damages are, are, are palpable. But I'm curious, now we can get into what I think the Warren policy is probably most concerned about, which is the prospect of not just having our border be invaded illegally by you know people who are linked to Hamas or other terrorist groups in the Middle East, um, but the actual welcoming them in, you know, give me your tired, your poor, and apparently your Hamas linked migrants too is going to be the new strap line of the Biden regime. But it seems like there's some talk, there's already been some calls from progressive lawmakers saying that we need to open up our borders, I guess, even more so um, to refugees fleeing Gaza, West Bank, you name it. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that is a possibility? Uh, Natalie, unfortunately, it is a possibility and it would be a disaster. Uh, Republicans can step up when the time comes. But uh, one of the reasons it's a problem is the Palestinian population is not a good bet in terms of entry. It's just not. And if you if you are concerned or think that's not correct or accurate, look no further than almost every Muslim Arab leader in the modern Middle East who has said, no, thank you. These are not these are not, um, you know, Western European countries or countries that are not involved. These are countries that have a very vivid knowledge of what happens when Palestinians are in their territory. Bad things happen. And they understand that. And we would be stupid to ignore that. But one other point, Natalie, that I would make as someone who worked in the administration and was deeply involved in the screening and vetting processes for uh, immigrants uh, is that when you add giant populations of dangerous people or not dangerous people, just people to the, the screening pile, you create a huge backlog, which makes it harder to make sure you're letting only safe people in. Um, the Department of Homeland Security, through its U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, is the agency that carries this burden. They're the ones that have to screen every human being that are uh, coming to the border in the South, applying for asylum or applying to be a refugee from overseas. And they've got their work cut out for them. There are some problems there in terms of management, but I think a lot of employees there actually do try and make sure not dangerous people are coming in. When you add another million people to the pile and treat the, the addition of uh, large numbers of people to the screening pile uh, to let more people in, you create a backlog, which creates pressure on people to not scrutinize applications, which means you increase the chances of dangerous people getting in. It's inevitable. And so 
you know, I know AOC and her friends think just throwing a million here and a million there on the, the asylum pile is not a big deal, but it has real world implications. If, this is a reminder. Almost every one of the individuals um, who has been involved in a terror attack in the last 10 years, including the Zarnoff brothers, were people who came in through the refugee and asylum process. Someone missed something, right? And if you keep adding onto those piles, you're going to create pressure where applications are not screened, more dangerous people come in. And we're going to be talking about more bombings in the future. And, you know, if the left is OK with that, they can keep doing what they're doing. Reminds me of how nonchalant these same voices are about our national debt, except it's a trillion here and a trillion there. John, before we let you go, and again, thank you for this analysis. Truly, I, I mean that it's scary, but I guess we, we have to know knowledge is power. Uh, Trump has obviously talked a lot about, you know, mass deportations, wanting to return all of these people home, which really is the the only way forward if we want to have a country. But in your opinion, the feasibility um, of these mass deportations, how that would look, what are your thoughts on that? The reality, Natalie, is it's very doable. I, I think one thing we discovered in the Trump administration was that um, there were a lot of people saying it couldn't be done. What they were really saying is we don't want to do it. And when you get the right people who are committed and you understand the tools you have at your disposal, you can make it happen. The reality is the current illegal alien population, which, by the way, Natalie, is probably more likely between 20 and 35 million at this point, needs to be removed. Now, do you have to remove every single human being to make people leave? No, but you do have to remove a lot. And I think the reality is a lot of these people are not um, they're not, let's say, uh, hard to remove the, the burdens we place on ourselves for removing are self-imposed. And in my opinion, since it's a national security function, uh, this is not something that's within the reach of court injunction. So the next administration, whether it's Donald Trump or someone else, needs to start wrapping their head around the fact that courts don't really have any say here because the president is the one tasked with national security protection and public safety and public defense, uh, not the courts. And so as a result, court injunctions really shouldn't be heeded when it comes to removal of people. Speed's going to be important uh, because, the, and also the longer people stay here, then you get into a situation where they put roots down and they say, well, I've been here too long and you get stupid immigration judges who agree with them. Speed is important. Volume is important. Deterrence is important. And with the right people in the mix, you can make all of that happen. John, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to let the audience know where they can follow you, I don't think you're a big social media guy, but if they can follow America First Legal and all the you know investigations and work that you guys are doing, where should they go? Thank you, Natalie. Uh, yes, please come visit us. Uh, at, uh, we're at aflegal.org. Uh, we're on all the usual suspects on social media and come check out the work we're doing. We're trying our best to uh, keep up the good fight and make sure Americans are safe. And uh, we're trying to be America first, unlike this administration. Aflegal.org. <laughs> John, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank have you, a Natalie. good one. And I think we have Todd Bensman. We'll continue our uh, our immigration talk. I promise I don't just try to come on here to make you guys depressed about our future, but unfortunately in Joe Biden's America, they don't give me many happy stories to cover. Um, Todd, I know you've been covering the sort of, you know, jihad um, angle of the immigration process. Like I say, the, the weapon of mass migration. Um, but I just love to get your thoughts on the prospect of importing refugees from Gaza, if you think that's actually going to happen, how Joe Biden would go about doing that, what the implications would be? Well, I, I have to agree with your previous guest on a lot of that, which is that you are going to be importing people who have been indoctrinated heavily from cradle to present. 
against Jews, against Israel, and against the United States. In a small territory like that, where Hamas has been in control for 16 years straight of everything, the school systems, the television programming, uh, and a really aggressive uh, propaganda machine that is just um, really penetrates uh, every aspect of life in in the strip and in uh, the mosques and the imams, uh, everything that you are definitely going to have a higher risk of problems with anybody coming out of Gaza, uh, even children, young children, uh, the parents of those children who often you know, are perfectly fine sending them into the streets to throw rocks at Israeli tanks and soldiers uh, and are all urged to join Hamas. Uh, I think that that's a bad idea. That's It's probably a worse idea even than when we brought in a couple hundred thousand Afghans uh, that we knew nothing about uh, right off of the uh, battlefields there and we ended up with all kinds of security problems. So that that to me is a terrible idea Plus, there are lots of other uh, places of refuge in the immediate vicinity. Uh, neighboring countries like Jordan and Egypt ought to be pressured into taking on any kind of refugees. It's right next door. Maybe they can stay there for as long as they want, and uh, maybe they can go back to Gaza at some point. Uh, but why, why take that risk? I don't know why anybody would want to take that risk here, even with women and children, I hate to say. And my producer sent me, I was just reading it while we were sort of on air, a very alarming story. Again, I guess I have to suspend my disbelief with anything this administration does and how immigration has been exploited, but I'll just read the headline. Dollars for Terror, the Holy Land Foundation's illegal scheme to fund Hamas. It seems like it's an old report of yours that they sort of re-upped given the uh, the current climate. If you could walk the audience just through all that, I'm sure. And I'll probably hold you through the break if you can stay with us. Right, that was just put out uh, by my uh, former colleague, Robert Riggs at True Crime Reporter. And um, if you could put that up, I mean, it's a, it's a great reprise of the reporting that we did, the two of us in Dallas, when I was working for the Dallas Morning News and then uh, CBS uh, O&O up there, owned and operated station up there with Robert where uh, you had Hamas headquarters was in Dallas for many, many years in the form of a, of a quote unquote charity fundraising organization called the Holy Land Foundation. The Holy Land Foundation was run by straight up Hamas uh, leadership that were brought to the United States to raise funds to pay the families of suicide bombers to raise money here under the cover of a charity and send it over there as incentive for suicide bombers to commit martyrdom operations or whatever they want to call it. I call it suicide. They call it martyrdom. Uh, and that uh, true crime report is based on the stuff that we did on those Hamas organizations in London and all over Texas and all over the United States, really. Those organizations are still functioning in other ways. Uh, there is Hamas in the United States uh, and the Holy Land Foundation trial, uh, everybody there, all, all of the people we were reporting on are in prison now. 
thankfully, for 50 and 60 years, they're never getting out for what they did. But the trial left behind a document uh, in the court record called unindicted co-conspirators. Those are the ones that the government at that time just couldn't get to. They didn't have the bandwidth to prosecute all the Hamas organizations. And they're listed in by individual and organization all the way through there. Now, the Hamas people who were left here who weren't in prison sued and appealed that list to, to, to um, take it out. And they lost at every stage until they got to the Supreme Court, which refused to take it. And so that list stands and you can read uh, all of the, uh, the, the names of Hamas people and organizations that were left behind to operate. One of them is CARE, the Council on American uh, Islamic Relations, CARE, which is put out there today as like the uh, spokesperson for Islam in the United States. They're constantly quoted. If you go to their website right now, CARE, I think it's .org, you'll find that they've got all these statements up there uh, in support of Hamas and con condemning Israel with never mentioning what Hamas just did in Israel. Uh, they're right out there like with those uh, demonstrators at the college campuses. I have to say, I recommend the documentary, The Grand Deception. I just watched it recently. It has to do with everything that, that you're talking about, um, unfortunately. But Todd, I'll definitely keep you through the break. But in the meantime, War Room Posse, there's a nice story that um, I have up on warroom.org. Exclusive Hunter Biden owned financial stake and digital banking platform for undocumented migrants introduced the founder to Joe Biden. I'm, of course, talking about the company E. Plata. It was founded by longtime Biden family business associate Jeff Cooper. Uh, emails that I obtained from Hunter Biden's hard drive actually show the first son getting wire transfers from the company and holding an 8%, 8.25% stake in the company. Believe it or not, it's unclear whether or not he still holds it. This is the kind of go-to platform they are positioning for remittances for illegal immigrants to send money back to their home state, home country of Mexico. It's been endorsed by the Mexican government. And if you look at their website, they advertise that you don't have to use identification. You really can just set up an account um, with no paper trail, no bank record, basically nothing. So it's probably rife with human traffickers and some bad hombres, as Donald Trump would say. But it's just another perfect example of how the Biden regime has exploited probably profited off of these wide open borders and we'll have Todd Benzman after the break to continue drilling down on the national security implications that affect every town because as you guys know every town is a border town and we will be right back after this break. Last month, the G20 announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. No, I'm not making that up. That is a fact. Central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. Let that sink in for a second. In essence, they enable the government to take more control over your personal finances. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. 
If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold 2. But learn for yourself. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898, and they'll send you a free info kit on gold. The easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer, if you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer just gathering dust, Birch Gold can help you convert it into IRA into gold. And you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Let me repeat that. You don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Bannon to 989898. Claim your free info kit on gold. Then call Birch. Because if digital currency becomes a reality, and trust me, they're on the path to make it so, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. It's only worked for 5,000 years of mankind's history. Let Birch Gold work for you. Bannon. 989898, text it right now. Question, who protects the troops who protect us? Well, we will. Imagine you're serving halfway around the world and you learn the title to your home, that legal document that proves it's actually yours has been forged and it's not in your name anymore. But we can't let that happen and we won't let it happen. Home title theft is a clear and present danger for all homeowners. And that's why I trust Home Title Lock. And now Home Title Lock is protecting those who protect us and giving back. For every subscription you purchase from Home Title Lock, they'll donate one year of free service to a military family in your name. Our troops deserve the peace of mind in knowing that while they protect us, Home Title Lock protects their most valuable asset. We all need to protect the title to our homes. I'll share updates, but for now, please join me. Protect your home's title at HomeTitleLock.com slash Bannon and use promo code Bannon. And when you do, they'll protect the home of a service member in your name. That's HomeTitleLock.com slash Bannon, code Bannon. HomeTitleLock.com slash Bannon, code Bannon. Do this for the troops. Do it today. Use your agency. Are you tired of progressive corporations and exhausted trying to keep up with all the virtue signaling when you're simply trying to buy products? Progressive corporate America continues to push messaging that further alienates conservative Americans, all while eroding the future of the American dream. It's prominent all over the country. Companies like Starbucks strong-arming their customers to support abortion. Financial services like PayPal canceling customers for their political views. Makeup companies like Maybelline making a mockery of women by supporting transgender models. And beer companies like Bud Light forcing gender ideology on you when all you want is to enjoy a cold beer. Thankfully, we don't have to fund these companies any longer with our hard-earned dollars. With Public Square, we now have a solution. It's simple. Join the movement of millions of patriotic Americans who love truth, our country, and our Constitution at publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. Public Square is an app and website where you can get connected to tens of thousands of businesses from all different industries that share your value for life, family, and freedom. Whether you're looking to buy coffee, find a new athletic clothing that knows what a woman is, and shop for clean skin care, or simply find a new restaurant in your community that won't lecture you about your political views. PublicSQ.com is your resource. Public Square also offers discounts 
to many high quality businesses on the platform so that you can actually receive incentive for spending money with companies that don't hate you. Public Square is free to join as consumer or a business owner. And you can get started today at publicsq.com. Remember, either as a consumer or a business owner. Download the app now. That's publicsq.com, publicsq.com. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. We've got a pretty good show going on so far. I guess it's it's scary, almost as scary as it's Halloween, um, but no, it's it's very dark stuff. Again, I, I second my recommendation, as I said, concluding the last block to go and watch um, the grand deception to make sense of everything that's going on. And it shouldn't be lost on anyone that Mayorkas set up a special DHS council um, with faith-based and religious leaders, many of them Muslim, a lot of them care representatives or care-linked individuals, but much like so much of the ideologies on the far left and even the Chinese Communist Party, they couch their true agenda in very euphemistic, you know, racial equality, justice-laden terms. But in reality, what they want is uh, very dark. And in the case of these groups, I would argue it's a, it's a caliphate here in the United States. Uh, but that aside, it's not, that's me quoting them, not my own words. Um, but Todd Benson, before I let you go, I'm sure you probably saw and laughed that Axios um, put out that huge story saying that the open border is a myth uh, constructed by people like yourself and myself. And Steve, real quick before I let you go, I would just love your reactions, not only to the laughable claims, but if you think or, or rather why right now the mainstream media is sort of uh, running cover, playing a CYA uh, for the Biden regime and everything that they've done to this country uh, through leaving the southern border wide open. So here's the ultimate metric that people should look at. If you reach the southern border uh, and are allowed in and not deported, and everybody who reaches the southern border is allowed in and not deported afterwards or detained, that's the definition of an open border. I don't know what definition Axios is going by. Uh, the, and it's interesting that they used a photo of somebody stopping migrants at the river. That's not Biden's people. That's Greg Abbott's people in Texas who are trying to block them at the river, keep them from coming up the riverbank. But Biden's Border Patrol keeps cutting the wire and letting them in by the hundreds and hundreds down there. Uh, that is, by definition, an open border. And there are multiple pathways through. You don't have to just cross illegally to be let in. You can apply on a CBP-1 phone app and be let in, too. Uh, I'll urge your viewers to watch me uh, over the next few days. I just got a huge data dump on how many they're letting in and who they're letting in over the bridges uh, where you can't even see it and being flown in, too. So if there are five different ways for somebody to cross the southern border and be allowed and get in, I'm sorry, that's an open border, and they're not deporting uh, enough people to really make a dent in incentive. Uh, that's an open border. That's all I have to say about that. It's open. It's wide open. They're letting everybody in and barely deporting anyone. 
Well, I guess if a uh, if a woman can be a man and a man can be a woman, then an open border could be a closed border and a closed border can be an open border. They're not very good at definitions. So it makes sense. Todd Bensman, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure people want to get your, your first book, the predecessor to the current one, but also where can they get the current book to exa- that one? Yes. Where can people go to get that and follow you? Right. Well, the first book is available anywhere. Books are sold still. Amazon. Um, it's 2021, but it's just as relevant now about the jihadist threat at that border, everything. It's the only book written about that. And Overrun is my latest book about how we got to this mass migration historic crisis is also available. It's in bookstores and anywhere books are sold online. And there's an audio book uh, of Overrun now, too. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And I think we have James Bacon joining us. People may recall he's been on this program before. He was the former director of operations for presidential personnel under Donald J. Trump. I think I got the title right. Um, In other words, the translation there is that he helped oversee basically all the staffing um, of Donald J. Trump's presidency. But more importantly, the firing and getting rid of uh, the bad the bad hombres like we were talking about uh, in the first block. Um, James, before we pivot to more broadly what's going on, especially in the context of you know, the speakership race and just these feckless Republicans on Capitol Hill, I'd love your thoughts in terms of the personnel inf- infiltration and subversion um, and really just implementation of Trump's agenda, particularly on the immigration front, because I think it's probably fair to say that that is where he was probably blocked, if not confronted the hardest, right? Whether it was the, the travel ban, the wall, you name it. Um, what did you see from your perspective being on the inside? And more importantly, how do we combat it? How do we push back against it? Well, one of the truest things that President Trump ever said is that the rhinos are worse than the Democrats. And so when we were doing presidential personnel, We weren't firing the deep state operatives as much as we were firing the rhinos who were too weak to implement President Trump's policies. They're worse than the deep state in many cases. So I think it's about getting the right people in. President Trump needs to act swiftly. You need to send the military to the southern border and just firmly solve the problem. And you can't wait or rely on Congress to do it because Congress is completely irrelevant. They're never going to get their act together. They're never going to appropriate money for a wall. They're never going to vote to secure the border. So it has to be done solely by the executive branch. It has to be done right away. And you probably have to use the military to do it. I think that's probably the only way. Now, you said in terms of the, you know, rhino faction in D.C. that obviously is is pro-open borders, you used the word weakness, right? You said that they just don't have the appetite or the backbone to actually implement the policies of the Trump agenda. Beyond that weakness, do you really, is that your theory of the case that they just don't have the, the spine to do it? Or do you think there are more nefarious motives at play, whether it's, you know, corporate interests, the big donors in terms of elected officials. But if you if you really get granular with where you think this opposition, particularly on the immigration issue, comes from, again, you, I think people 
probably don't appreciate how much firsthand experience you have in actually seeing the enemy and understanding what motivates them. So particularly on the issue of immigration, if you could just maybe expand a little bit where you think either that weakness or intentionality comes from the aversion to Donald Trump's, you know, immigration ideas. I think they're motivated by self-interest. They don't want their name in the Washington Post. They don't want controversy. They're more worried about attending the White House Christmas party and getting their lobbying job when they exit the administration than they are about securing the border. So that that's the problem in a nutshell. I don't think it's bad intentions. With Congress, they're much more captured by special interests. It's harder for special interests to capture the executive branch, but Congress is completely captured. If you look at lobbying in Washington, D.C., there's a reason you can have a career as a Hill lobbyist lobbying Congress, but there's no para, there's no career as an executive branch lobbyist. That's not enough because the executive branch isn't as compromised as Congress. So all of these things contribute to the broader deep state, which isn't just the civil servants in the executive branch. It's Congress that's appropriating the money and basically hamstringing a, a Republican president when they want to do things. Now, I'm sure you've been watching what's been unfolding on the Hill in terms of the speakership battle. You know, it's the it's the war room posse and MAGA verse, like you said, the what are the I would say ossified corporate interests that exist in Washington, D.C. Um, just just imagine the country we would have if uh, those politicians feared the American people more than they did K Street, but unfortunately we are not in that position. But I wanted to bring you on today specifically because I wanted to sort of draw the parallel um, between what you guys, the actual true America firsters um, in the Trump administration had to go up against to what a lot of the people who, whether it was the original 20 and then the hardcore six or the 70 who voted um, against the debt ceiling expansion and increase, um, the people who've continued to vote for Jim Jordan, right? The small faction of the people who are on the right side of history, we would say. Um, the, the parallels to what you guys had to go up against in the first Trump administration, um, but more importantly, the lessons learned from that and how in what will be the second term of President Donald J. Trump, you know, how we actually combat that and how we make sure that we aren't stymied or kneecapped by these same, you know, rhino types. I think that's too cutesy a term, but just these entrenched Republicans who frankly are probably more establishment Democrats, um, but how we actually go up against them. It's about having the right leadership at the top that can discern the current situation correctly. So you see with even the good ones in Congress, Whenever the current thing happens, they're not opposing it. So it's easy to be against the Ukraine aid now after we've already spent $150 billion and it's too late now. We needed people to be against the Ukraine aid in 2021. It's the same thing with the COVID stimulus in 2020. We needed Congress to be against it now, against it back then. And then it's the same thing that's happening right now where Biden is about to roll Congress again by pairing the Ukraine aid with the aid to Israel. So he's just gonna totally roll over the Republicans. We're gonna get more Ukraine aid because he's playing them like a fiddle. And we have no leadership at the top that understands the current thing and how to take a stand against it. So when we get back in next time, it has to be a White House 
that's giving top-down direction that can see these things as they're happening. You know, not falling for the COVID mask mandates, the, the other stuff, Fauci, as it's happening, because Republicans are constantly behind the ball now. And you're seeing it especially in Congress. And so Congress has made itself more irrelevant than it already was. And that's pretty hard to do. I think the only <laughs> chance we have of saving this country is by taking back the presidency and having an executive branch that is top to bottom, every position filled with people that um, follow the chain of command. You know, they're in the, the right place in the hierarchy and you have leadership that is on top of this stuff because we've just been behind the ball for so long. There's a, a funny moment in the interview between Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk where uh, Tucker asks Elon, you know, what percent of Twitter staff did you fire? And he ultimately gives the figure of about 80 percent, right? So that's 20 percent remaining. And then Tucker asks, you know, how did you do that? And Elon said, well, if you're not engaged in the business of censorship and trying to promote a certain agenda, you actually don't need that many people, right? It'll it'll run itself. And I was I was watching that last last night and I sort of thought that you could sort of draw a same comparison to what, you know, President Trump needs to do um, with the federal government if whether when he is reelected. So I'm just curious. I know you've come on this program a lot to talk about the tactics that we would take to whether it is, you know, fire or relocate or just really neuter or nullify the power of a lot of these unelected bureaucrats. Thank God, Millie is that. Uh, forcing himself out on his own measure. Um, but I'm just curious in terms of, you know, actually eliminating certain agencies. And I don't even mean the, you know, traditional conservative talking point of, no, oh, let's get rid of the Department of Education. Yeah, I would, I would love to do that too. But I mean, more specifically, some of these, you know, niche nuance agencies that the war room audience knows about, but, you know, the average American probably doesn't, whether that's you know, CISA in the censorship industrial complex that they have managed, or a lot of these weird review boards and agencies under the purview of DHS that they're using to censor stories. So how much of, from your perspective, the personnel war is, you know, relocating these people or putting in better people versus how much of it is actually just trimming the fat and getting rid of some of these agencies that shouldn't exist in the first place? There's two parts of this. There's the left-wing expert class at the top, and that's the real deep state. But then beneath them is what I call the DMV state, because it's more akin to what you get when you walk into your local DMV. The DMV state are the millions of unionized, civil service protected, unproductive, non-essential employees that are dead weight on this country. And they are literally classified as non-essential by the Office of Management and Budget. That means when there's a government shutdown, all these non-essential employees go home. And what happens? Nothing happens. We've been through many government shutdowns in recent years, and nothing happens when these non-essential employees go home. So the next president needs to cut non-essential bureaucracy, and that means mass government layoffs. Mass government layoffs is the only way to cut the non-essential bureaucracy. And the left will scream about it, but there's nothing radical with trimming the fat. I am very pro trimming the fat in all regards. James Bacon, thank you so much 
for joining us. If people want to follow you, stay up to date with everything you're working on. I know you sort of uh, are elusive when it comes to the social media sphere, but if people want to stay up to date, how can, how can they find you if they can? Project2025.org and see the ways that we're going to be doing a better transition compared to the last transition. Real quick before I let you go, if you want to just explain a little bit about what Project 2025 is. Project 2025 is an effort to basically get the personnel right for the next administration. Uh, President Trump had did not have the administration he deserved. And so we're trying to right that wrong by bringing real patriots to D.C. and having a battle plan to take on the deep state on day one. Real patriots, no experts from uh, the Atlantic Council, Brookings Institute, CSIS, or any of these think tanks masquerading, I guess they're uh, activist organizations masquerading as think tanks, probably just fronts for money laundering, but that, that's for another show. James, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And Warren Posse, we got a few minutes here, so I wanted to go through at, at Steve's request um, some of the latest stories that we've been publishing on warrooms.org, which is why you, of course, have to sign up for the newsletter. But it has to do with Hunter Biden's foreign business affairs and how they link to catch this. Not this. It's not the Chinese Communist Party this time. Uh, it's actually Iran and Qatar and Libya, all entities that are very closely aligned to financially supporting Hamas in their recent Terrorist attacks, one of the stories we put up, or rather I put up, is an exclusive. Hunter Biden's Chinese firm helped Iranian company access sanctioned funds, broker illegal oil deals. People may recall CEFC China Energy. That's the firm that Hunter Biden was the managing director at. Uh, tens of millions of dollars were allegedly wired into Biden family bank accounts. That a notorious audio recording of Hunter Biden saying that he's in business with the spy chief of China. That's Patrick Ho. Um, so I'd uncovered documents from an old trial of Patrick Ho actually admitting um, that CEFC China Energy back around 2015-2016 was helping Iranian companies skirt U.S. sanctions, uh, specifically in relation to their nuclear program, to get access to bank account funds so they could potentially pursue a deal um, with Chinese business interests. Um, also, on the other end of that story is the fact that illegal, uh, illegal oil, so this is oil that was under sanction by the U.S. government, um, an individual, people may recall, this is where we get granular, so I, I apologize in advance, but Gal Luft, that was the Biden family whistleblower, the Israeli citizen, who after blowing the whistle on Joe Biden a few days later, he was actually indicted uh, for FARA violations, for arms trafficking. But remember, we always had an issue with that uh, indictment because he basically did the same things that Hunter Biden was doing because he was working on behalf of CEFC China Energy too. Um, so it's sort of the the pot calling the kettle black. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden just gets away, you know, with gun charges, the only charge that doesn't have to do with Joe Biden. But what's so interesting is that Gal Left was acting per the indictment as an intermediary um, to help really create uh, an illegal oil deal. They were referring to this illegal Iranian oil as coming from Brazil in text messages and emails, though it was actually originating from Iran, but they were trying to sell it, um, I believe, to China. Uh, you guessed it, the New York Times did sort of tacitly admit this story back in 2018, buried the lead. 
Um, and, you know, a paragraph, many, many paragraphs down in the story, they, of course, never mention the Hunter Biden connection. Um, but on the, the second front of it, when it comes to Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings, uh, the second story we put up is Hunter Biden, another exclusive Hunter Biden's Chinese firm, brokered illicit weapons deals for Qatar and Libya, which fund and arm Hamas. So this is the same entity, CEFC China Energy, again, wiring millions of dollars to the Biden family. Hunter Biden is a managing director there. Um, in addition to selling uh, oil on behalf of Iran and liaising with Iranian government officials, uh, it was also unsealed in this indictment that, believe it or not, they were involved in the arms trade, trying to sell weapons that had been either sanctioned or were just generally illegal um, to Qatar and Libya. Qatar, you guys know, is, of course, the primary financial backer of Hamas. Uh, Libya, there's been extensive reporting how a lot of arms that go to Libya are then later funneled uh, into Hamas. They use it on their terrorist attacks against Israelis and really the the world writ large. So very curious there. Uh, this, of course, I think dovetails quite curiously, uh, quite nicely with the fact that Joe Biden decided to release, what was it, $6 billion in addition to $80 billion in, you know, uh, more enjoyable oil revenue for the Iranian regime due to lax sanctions. Um, so this just shows you, I think, firsthand, you have a regime that is in power that even if they wanted to put America first, they couldn't because of the financial business dealings and just very intricate, very dark, very nefarious conflict of interest uh, web of evil interests that have been pursued by Hunter Biden. And when the same people who are in business with the foreign powers that are trying to take the United States off the global stage, destroy our global hegemony, when that the same guy who's in the White House. It's not going to bode well. World War III or not, it's very hard to put America first. Warren Posse, thank you for hanging with me. Have a good one. See you. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical, that's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700 
100,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.